Welcome to episode 32 of Board Game Impact. In today's episode, Josh and I are talking about big older games and a virus. Hello and welcome to Board Game Impact. This is Bruce. This is Josh. And we are the hosts of Board Game Impact. So what Board Game Impact is, is a podcast in which Josh and I both work in education. And so we seek to share the experiences that we're having in this amazing hobby, as well as our educational lens. So that way you can to make an impact for you and your gaming group. Um, today is going to be a little different. Um, we're going to be focusing in on two games in particular, some older games, and then uh, just talk about what's been going on lately. But that being said, Definitely want to encourage you to go and check out last episode, so episode 31, uh, because that was an episode in which we were talking with game designer Derek Zinn uh, for his Kickstarter of Beasts Age of Extinction, the D Revenge of the Dodos expansion, which is currently on Kickstarter if you're hearing this at the time of launch, but it's going to be closing real fast. So go check that out, hear from him about all of his design stuff. Um, and then I hope you get as much out of that as I did. It was a really great conversation to have with him. Um, and Josh and I were just talking about how we wish we could add Josh for that one, but most likely the next one. Um, that being said, Josh, um, we've got some things going on in the world right now. Um, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. So, but how about we focus on some positivity things? All right. Um, and focus in on some games. Sound good. That sounds great. Okay. So why don't you kind of lead us into this? Sure. So, um, we had the idea to kind of talk about some of these bigger games. Uh, Bruce kind of brought up, um, a game that he played recently, um, as we were talking before recording this episode, um, it's a little bit older and a really big, heavy game. And it just got me thinking about, um, you know, some games that we've been playing recently, uh, up here in Colorado and the game that has really kind of taken, my gaming group by storm over the past really two months is a pretty significantly older game. And that is called Imperial 2030, uh, currently being published by Rio Grande Games. And Imperial 2030 came out in 2009, so way, way back, uh, 11 years ago, pretty, pretty long and comparison to a lot of the games that we talk about here on board game impact. So, um, really wanted to kind of sit down and, and talk through some of these older games that don't get a lot of media attention anymore. But, um, Imperial 2030 is a game that is really about, uh, kind of maintaining control over big imperial dynasties. So you have U.S., uh, the European Union, Russia, China, India, and Brazil. Uh, and you are, each player is acting as an international organization or international corporation investing in these different imperial powers and then using their monetary control over the governments of these uh, these nations to influence how they interact with the rest of the world. So you're um, taking financial control and then once you have financial control, you can control the military and you are building up 
these fleets of ships or you're building up these land units and then sending those units out to take control over different territories of a map of the world. And then you're taxing those territories. Because of course um, you are. Of course, yeah, you're you're trying to get a return on your investments here, um, and and part of that is taxing those territories that you control, uh, and then you are um, paying out your investments, and it's a really really heavy, complex game, and I have to say, like I I played this probably for the first time about a month ago, uh, we played it. I've played it twice since then, and even now, as I'm sitting here talking about it, I really want to get this game back. You got to the, the table. itch. I it, now that I'm sitting here talking about it, it's been probably two or three weeks since I played, and now I just want to get it back to the table. It's it's so so good. It is really really interesting in terms of how you manage those economic incentives with the military aspects and the um kind of fight the the war and combat that you can take on um with other with other um nations um you know it's kind of interesting you can you can choose to go to send one military unit that you control to fight another military unit control sure because it's going to benefit you economically and wait so you can you can fight yourself you can fight yourself if it's going to Im- benefit you huh um, that's it, rare. It, it comes up with some really there's some really interesting decisions to be made here um bruce have you ever heard of imperial 2030 i honestly hadn't before we started talking about it and i've been looking at a ton of pictures of this board and things and it looks awesome. Like there's really cool wooden components of like a ship and a tank. Um, and in looking at it, it looks like a wooden component version of like an Axis and Allies, honestly, from like the looks of it. But it doesn't look like it plays like that at all. Um, Not in the least bit. And it, you're 100% right. It, and it's, I would say, if there's one thing to, to, to say about this game is that it looks like it was... published in 2009 i would say Um, before that to be honest sure it there's nothing flashy there's nothing unique or cool you know you have cardboard chits and wooden tanks and wooden meat like factories and ships but there's nothing overly exciting or flashy about the board all of the fun of this game is in the depth and complexity and strategy that goes into figuring out how can I take these investments and over the course of the game influence these nations to act in a way that are going to produce the greatest return on my investments. So I have a question for you. Yeah. And I mean, that makes sense of like, how can I maximize the returns? But also it doesn't sound like you're beholden to them because you're not one of these countries, right? No. And, and so this is actually uh, a really interesting kind of comparison, I think, that that we made. The, some folks in my group had been playing this for, for a little while. Um, 
before I had ever re- I had never heard of this until it was I was sitting down at the table with it laid out in front of me and being explained to me. Um, you know, it's just not a game that had ever popped up on my radar. So one of the ways in which we got into playing Imperial 2030, we were actually um, so I was kind of unaware of this game until I was sitting down and playing it. But right before this, I was playing a different game with folks, and that was War of Whispers, which is a newer game, just came out really recently, um, and really has a lot of the same mechanics. So War of Whispers, similarly, you are not controlling the different factions within the group but or within the game, but you are playing as spy networks who are subtly influencing these factions and making them go to war with one another. Um, really, really good, interesting game. Um, but when we got done playing it, the folks that I was sitting around the table playing this with actually kind of sat there and were like, well, this was fun. This was good. This is just Imperial 2030 light. Huh. And so we decided huh. to immediately just go and play Imperial 2030. Because why not, and, right? Especially yeah. if it's there. Yeah, and it... And it it 100% is an accurate statement. It is a slightly s- shorter version of Imperial 2030. I will say that I think War of Whispers has a slightly more interesting theme to it. Okay. Um, and definitely the board looks a little bit nicer. Okay, so um, question. Yeah. Because I haven't played War of Whispers, um, mm-hmm. but Shut Up, Sit Down the YouTube channel podcast, great guys. Um, they just did the war of whispers review and said, it's like the quintessential game of Thrones game of you being like a Lord Varys or a little finger. Um, is that the theme you're talking about of like this kind of medieval theme or like, is there a different theme you're talking about that pulled you into that one more than the other one? So it is, it is war or sorry. It is uh, game of Thrones without the ip attached to it right it is pretty clear blatant rip off of the game of thrones ip um you know they they weren't even really that subtle about it no. they've pretty well said that this is we don't have the ip but this is game of thrones sure um and yeah that that just that theme kind of appealed a little bit more than being a major global organization influencing through money. This was a little bit more interesting, right? You're, you're playing subterfuge and you have a network of spies and they're doing all of these things versus just like, no, I spent a lot of money on your country. So you're going to do what I tell you to do. So all hail our corporate overlords. <laughs> yes. I will say that there are some really interesting conversations that come out during Imperial 2030 in terms of thinking about a capitalistic society and what that means. Gotcha. Um, It has some real interesting feels when you're playing it. Um, But all of that, um, you know, the somewhat dry theme, the pretty boring components you're really doing a great sales pitch (laughs) it 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 does not matter when what you have 
at the end of the day is some exceptional decision making and strategy and it is just a game that keeps you coming back for more and you're just constantly thinking about what could I have done better how could I have improved on this gameplay I'm I'm really really impressed with it I I don't know how this game has flown under my radar for you know all of these years that I've been playing games and been being introduced to older games and you know this isn't something that's ever come up and I think you know as much as that sh- you know people really fell in love with that shut up and sit down review of mm-hmm. the war of whispers um and that's kind of why I wanted to play it too is you know that that review put it in a really good light but 100% if you if you sat me down and said between these two games which are you going to play 100% of the time I'm going to say Imperial 2030 okay that's really really good to hear and honestly the more I'm hearing about this and the more I'm seeing it I need to play this game if not just buy it if I can get my hands on it it's slightly hard to get your hands on it right now I'm seeing it on BGG for like 120 but the MSRP is like 65 um, this this game would really benefit from a reprint and yeah. not just a reprint, but like a deluxified version of some kind, right? Something to give it a little bit more pop, bring it into this modern era of board games, because this this game needs to be out there more. More people need to play this, in, in my opinion. I, th- I think this is a phenomenal game. So I need to ask a question, though, that's been on my mind since I started looking at the pictures of it. Um so typically when I see this kind of a game, I'm thinking an older term that I don't really like completely, but more of like Ameritrash, like dudes on a map. I'm going to like sail around. I'm going to dominate the world, right? Like a risk almost like an older risk. Um, but then I see some of the other things on here, like the Rondell, uh, which you haven't really talked about. So that is Euro game typically. And then I'm also seeing some of these other things where it looks almost like a bidding mechanic a little bit. And, um, but then you also, because it's war, there's that like strategy war game aspect. How would you classify this? This is pure Euro game, like okay, old school, 100% dry Euro mechanic heavy. So your rondelle is actually your action selection mechanic where you're deciding for this round is my country that I'm controlling going to generate more troops or are we going to maneuver to try and take over new territories? And yes, there is some combat there, right? You you can move into a territory that someone already controls and fight over control of that. Why this has, in my opinion, despite that combat mechanic, no feeling of an Ameritrash game is okay. that your combat is a one-to-one ratio. If I move my steamship into an ocean that has your ship in it, they both die and it's a draw. Huh. Um, if I That's move simple. two ships in and you have a ship there, your ship dies, one of my ship dies, and one of my ships stays to maintain control of that territory. Okay. That's it. There's the combat, to call it a combat, is really non, not non-existent. Yeah. It is territory control. Uh-huh. It has that aspect to it, um, but it's just a majority control. It has 
no real you're not rolling dice you're not playing cards you're not influencing this in any way shape or form it's just larger force wins okay and that's it um this is all about who can manage and manage this uh country or this imperial force to get the most out of their taxations um so you're you're taxing these territories and as you do so you're moving the countries up this track of Mm -hmm. um influence and then whoever once one country maxes out on that track that's the end of the game and depending on and then you just sell off all of your um, stocks and whoever has the most money wins. This is a purely economic game. Awesome. Um, so, and I wanted to bring that up though, because in looking at it, you don't necessarily see that. Um, and it's rare to find a war themed game that is Euro, um, just to call that. And so I'm really excited about this. I have one very quick question though. And that is what player account would you recommend this at? So I played this at a, I think we had a full six players on this, maybe five. Um, I I would say four to six would okay. be the player count. I think if you're getting into two or three players, you just don't have enough people on the board. Um, six might be getting a little too heavy. So maybe four to five is probably your ideal player count there. Okay, sweet. Well, that was Imperial 2030, which came out in 2009 by Rio Grande uh, Games. And so hopefully it'll come out again. Um, They know they did a reprint in 2016. So we're coming up on the now time to do another one, y'all. So let's get out another (laughs) copy of that out. Um, And because it sounds like a good experience for all. So, Josh, I have another game that also involves a world, but a little different. I got to play another old game, but 2012. And yes, for board games, that is old at this point because um, we're in an emerging hobby. Go us. Um, so I got to play a game from Z-Man Games, and that game was Clash of Cultures. Um, so Clash of Cultures, just real quick, is it is what I have wanted in a civilization game. Um, so it starts just like civilization, Sid Meier's civilization in which you see one little part of the world where you have a settlement and a settler, and then you go out ex- like expanding your territory. You plant different settlements around. So cities, um, you're exploiting them for resources. You're, um, you can battle barbarians or other players so you can exterminate them. Um, and, Really, so this is a 4X game um, because you also have a giant tech tree with different advancements you can do. Um, So this was a lot of fun. We played it in about three and a half hours, which was pretty good, plus learning the rules. Um, It was a really good time. Josh, I think you've played this, right? It's been a while. Um, Actually, since I was living in Texas was the last time I played this. Uh, So it's been a good long while, but in my mind, this is the civilization building board game that I want 99.9% of the time. Yeah. So I'm dying. So this is really a first impressions because I only got to play this the one time. Um, but we wanted to talk about some of the older games. So this is a perfect one since I just played it the other day. Um, it's got really cool components. So it's got your little settlement, which is a circle. And then 
if you want to build ships, well, guess what? You build a port. And it's actually, so your settlements, your city is a circle. And so your ports actually have a knock cut out of them. And so they line up just perfect with the city. And then there's three other types of advancements you can do. So it makes this really cool little circular city. Um, but if you want to focus in on priesthood and getting, like um, really going in on the religion track, you can do that by building um, those, the temples. You can go more into warfare by building an academy. You can... Um, a fortress, I mean, but you're, you can go into more sciencey things by building an academy. Um, it was really cool. Um, definitely a learning game. So there was some stuff that was like, oh, if I leave this city undefended that I just planted at the end of my last turn, then you can just walk in there and take it, um, <laughs> which was interesting. It, but also you were limited to the territories that you were surrounded by because like you can get ore for building things. You can make yourself better in different ways. You can make your people happy by doing more like culturally oriented things um, and giving them the things they want uh, like sanitation. Um, but what's interesting is as you increase the happiness or the culture of a place, you'll trigger events. And actually, so we were playing with Dean. So it was three of us, Jeff, Dean, and myself. And Dean's like teaching the game, um, who I believe that's who you played with, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's Dean's game. And he's like, I bring this out about every six months for myself, the rules and then put it back for a while. Um, but from our experience, he's going to be bringing it out a lot more. Um, but he's like, don't forget to do irrigation and sanitation because that helps you out with events and other things. And we're like, okay. So Jeff and I focused in on doing that pretty much immediately. And some events came up and it's like, Oh, do you have sanitation? We're like, yes, we're good to go. And Dean's like, I still haven't done it. And it was a while in. Um, so the events can really like throw things in a cool way, but they felt like events that would actually be happening in this ecosystem of the board. So it was really, really cool. Um, it, I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to getting it to the table again. I'm curious. I know it's been a while since you played, but like what questions do you have, Josh? Sure. So I, the, one of the things that I wanted to kind of hit on is you, you mentioned the events, but kind of how do those things come about? What it, it, how do you discover what your events are and, and how are you going to kind of deal with those? Sure. So the events come up. Um, so everybody has their own player board. And if you've ever seen the board for Too Many Bones, where it's got like little knocks and stuff where you can place things down, that is how this works. So your tech tree is this giant board of little holes where you can put little cubes for your color. And some of them are black, surrounded by black, which means it's just neutral. Some of them are surrounded by yellow and some of them are surrounded by blue. If it's a yellow one, that's going to increase your happiness of your people. Um, and you get little happiness tokens. So you've got this track at the top where you're tracking resources, but you can also track happiness. And if your happiness or culture, which is the ones that are surrounded in blue, if any of those two go on to certain spots, so like the three, five, and I believe it's a seven off the top of my head. So as soon as a happiness or a culture marker goes into that, you trigger an event. So once you finish that action, you draw off of the deck. Um, these could be anything. So there was one like, oh, this one tile, a volcano erupts. Luckily, no one had explored that tile. Um, there was other ones that spawned barbarians or made the barbarians go and attack you. Um, personally, you, if you triggered the event. And then other ones that were like, honestly, super helpful. It's like, oh, you discovered this thing, gained three culture. So the events were either positive or you, you needed to focus in on your tech tree. And if you had a thing that saved you or if you didn't have a thing, you kind of got screwed. Yeah, so... 
Bruce, the one of the reasons why I said that this is the game that if you want to play a civilization game, and there are plenty of good civilization games out there, I'm not denying that. You know, I think about through the ages, maybe one of the best game designs that I've ever played through, but it's just such a burden to learn and to teach and to play that I don't do it. Um, Tapestry, I think, is a really great game design, but it has some flaws, I think, that that are hard yeah. to overcome sometimes. Um, you know, Sid Meier's uh, Civilization is, I think, a very decent game. But Clash of Cultures, you know, I always refer back to when I when I talk to people about Civilization games, often people refer back to, well, how does it compare to Sid Meier's Civilization, the computer game? That's what yep. everybody wants is a Sid Meier Civilization computer game in board game format. Uh, and so have you played oh, yeah. the computer game? And oh, so, yeah. I grew up playing the computer game. And absolutely. honestly, this is it. With an exception. Two exceptions. Sure. One, it doesn't have leaders in the base game. Mm -hmm. Two, in this one, you have like military figures, right? Warriors. Mm -hmm. In the video game, you can later change it from being warriors to like G.I. Joe and tanks. So you just get one type of warrior. So you're kind of locked in this period of time. Um, that's That would be the difference that I would explain this as between the two. But my thing is, so you you said through the ages, and I know I've played that a couple times. I think I played it with you. Uh, yeah, I think I, I brought it out once yeah. while, while I was over at your house. Yeah, so we played it at my place and I enjoyed it, but I had a hard time because there was the giant decks of cards and it's really a memorization of a lot of cards and you don't know what order they're going to come out in. My thing was this had all of the tech advancements on a board and I could keep referring to it and figure out strategies as I'm going. That's, I think, what makes Clash of Cultures a lot more accessible than Through the Ages, especially if you're playing, because you're right, with Through the Ages, that deck, you need to know how many of each type of card is in there so you can determine, can I wait on this? Am I going to get something similar in a future turn, right? Like, if you have all of that memorized and you know what to expect, um, you know, you you have a distinct advantage. Yeah. With this... Sure, more plays are going to give you an advantage, but at least you know when you sit down what the options and the possibilities are. Yeah. So Dean said he takes this out about every six months, and I told him he needs to start bringing it around more. Um, because now that I've played it, I was in the same boat as you with Imperial 2030 of, I now see things I could have done differently. I didn't win, but Dean was a good teacher. He came in last. Um <laughs> Uh, Jeff ended up winning, but I, I performed pretty well from what I think I did. Uh, but there's still things, oh, that's how that worked. I want to go back and make these different tech choices um, or different choices of where I'd settle. Um, so I'm looking forward to playing it more and more. And I, I know it's been a while since it came out, but I noticed the other day on Gaming Rules' Facebook, so Paul Grogan, he's a great guy, um, he posted that he's currently editing a rule book for Clash of Cultures, so hopefully that means that there's going to be a reprint coming soon. 
Yeah, I and again, I think this is another one of those games that just doesn't get enough love um, for what it is because it is a little bit older. Because, yeah, the components are kind of cool, but they're also kind of, from my memory, kind of cheap plastic feel to them a little bit. They don't feel super nice compared to maybe what we're used to with the the resin quality and those types of things in a modern board game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, again, the tiles don't have a whole lot to them from what I recall. No, they really don't. It's, it's very clearly a mountain. It's very clearly a grassland. It's very clearly water. Yeah. And, and so, you know, maybe, you know, adding some new artwork, adding some new components, those types of things. Again, I think this would really benefit from an update to to remind people that because it, it, it can be hard to convince someone to play a boring looking game. Yeah, um, it's hard to get those games to the table and just bringing something out that. Oh, this has some really great quality like quality gameplay and and mechanisms and mechanics yeah um bruce you did mention and i want to circle back to it though uh that that the base game of this does not have leaders does um did you get a chance to play with the civilizations expansion we didn't um dean doesn't own it sadly but it was interesting before i looked this game up on bgg i looked at the box and so the box literally has a clash of cultures it's like an all-out war and i'm looking at the box i'm like interestingly enough the game i just played does not have horses it does not have samurai it does not have elephants or anything like that and what do i look up i look up and i see there's an expansion that adds in exactly those freaking things yeah, this is, and um, the Civilizations expansion also adds in some uh, some leaders, uh, those types of things. And so um, I haven't had a chance to play it, but that's been a, a big wish list on uh, for me for a while now is a chance to play with that expansion and see kind of how those leaders really impact that game. Yeah, me too. Um, because essentially, like I said, this is Sid Meier, the board, the board game, but without leaders and without that military tweaking, right? Because you still can build wonders and all those kind of things. And it was really, really good. So if this sounds interesting to you, if you really enjoyed playing civilization games on the computer, then you need to check this one out. Um, I will say that there's a lot of abbreviations on some cards. And so just definitely want to dig into the rule book a little bit. So do your homework and help prepare your players. So Dean did, did a great job. And if you're listening, Dean, thank you so much for bringing this one out and uh, let's play it again. Um, but with that being said, just for the sake of time, Josh, I'm going to move us on to the next thing, if that's Absolutely. okay with you. So in the world right now, it's a very interesting place. Um, and this is not talking about a board game, but rather an impact on us. Um, and with this being said, I want to acknowledge that Josh and I are not medical professionals. Um, but we just want to comment on what's going on in our areas and what we've seen going on in the hobby or what we've heard going on in the hobby, just so that way we can kind of be together as a community. And so regardless of what we talk about here in a second, I just want to remind us that um, we are part of this bigger community. And so it's important to acknowledge that. And I think we're a very strong community and that we can come together and help each other and our, in our community our other communities outside of this hobby, um, to get through all this in a good way. But that being said, 
what we're going to talk about now is everything going on with all of the closures, all of the everything going on with the COVID-19 virus outbreak. Um, So this, there's a lot of people who have sadly passed away and who have had health complications. So if you know somebody, or if that is you, um, we just, our thoughts are with you, um, first of all. Um, and we hope that everybody gets better from this soon and that this is a quick and in the past thing, hopefully that, um, but that being said, there's some stuff going on in the hobby. So Josh, why don't you kind of just take us away? Sure. So I, I think we kind of wanted to just acknowledge that. Um, you know, this is a situation that is affecting everyone in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, you know, I know for both Bruce and I, we are uh, having some significant disruptions to the ways in which we do our work and how we function day to day. Um, and it's it's had some impacts on the hobby as well. And, you know, I just want to kind of call some of this out is I, I love this hobby. I think this is a phenomenal hobby. Um, I I never want to discourage anyone from engaging in this hobby, but you know, for me personally, I'm skipping my board game game uh, group tonight. Um, you know, having a large, and I have a very, very large game group. There's usually about 40 to 50 people there. Jealous. Um, it's pretty, it, it's, it's really nice. Right. But it also increases likelihood of exposure to diseases and those types of things. And you know, you're, playing in a hobby where everybody's picking up these components and fiddling with them and and touching everything. And, you know, for me personally, at this moment, it's just not worth the risk. Um, you know, I'm happy to sit down with my smaller group that I get together with on Friday nights, which is, you know, seven to eight people. And I know everyone a little bit better. Um, I'm a little bit more comfortable in those settings. So, you know, I just kind of want to put that out there on the table is, you know, just think about your own well-being, your own health, um, and think about the health of the pe- folks around you. Um, so, yes, so Bruce, we we have just wanted here- to say real quick. So, with that, oh, yeah. like when you go over someplace new, um, or just going over to another person's house, like just do the common courtesy things that are now becoming more common courtesy of like when you come in before like touching things, like just wash your hands um because all the surfaces and things but then just um practice good hygiene in all the things that we do uh but that being said josh why don't you talk about some of the larger impacts sure i and i was going to kick some of this over to you a little bit um, in terms of um some of these large conventions so we know that a lot of um recommendations and now um requirements from different government agencies have been to uh, shut down or limit the number of people right. in certain locations. And so obviously that has a significant impact on some of the planned major conventions um, as we're really starting to get into the kickoff of um, gaming convention season. Uh, you know, this is going to have some impacts. And yeah. Bruce, you you identified a couple here. And why don't you kind of talk through some of those? Sure. Um, so this kind of all, so these are all over the world, honestly. Um, so some of the first ones that we started seeing were Emerald City Comic Con up in Seattle. Um, Seattle has had, sadly, a bunch of outbreaks of this. Um, and like, like I said before, we hope that these things are going to get in the past. Um, but be healthy y'all. Um, so with that being said, Emerald city comic con had to make a lot of adjustments to their regularly scheduled programming. Um, being here in Texas, um, the city of Austin 
has this major event that happens called South by Southwest. It has an educational conference on the front end. It's got music conference, it, music, it's got movies, but it also has a honestly a, a hobby board gaming and video game presence as well. It's a big deal, like shuts down the city for like two and a half weeks. It's canceled. Um, doesn't exist this year. Um, Simon Expo, so it's cool mini or not, which is based in Shanghai, but you know them for all the big Kickstarters like Rising Sun, the for, uh, forthcoming Ankh, the currently uh, Marvel United game, um, and many, many more. Simon um, Expo is like their trade, um, essentially convention that they host in Atlanta where it's small gathering a couple hundred people, but it's in a, I believe it's in the Marriott and they essentially take it over, demonstrate all the new products, have all their designers there getting some play testing feedback, but also show them all what's coming out and kind of reward them with like some sweet swag that's canceled. Um, so that's in June, no, in May, sorry, the middle of May, um, E3. So the giant electronic entertainment, uh, Expo. Expo, thank you, uh, which takes place in June. That is not happening. Um, that is a big deal. I know they were having some companies pull out. And so with that being said, they, with everything, they kind of had the writing on the wall, so they canceled themselves. Gamma, which we are members of um, and is actually going on as we speak. Um, so it is still happening. It's in Reno, Nevada. However, I've heard that there's a pretty significant number of companies that didn't go um, this year uh, for various reasons, um, but this being a big one. Um, and so with that, it's just a lot going on. Um, so yeah, that being said, there's some stuff, Josh, that I want you to kind of touch on because um, sadly, not sadly, but just the nature of the world is there's really like three places we're getting games made, right? So China, which is the vast majority, Germany, and somewhat in the US. Now, that being said, China has had a significant impact with this, and a lot of the games coming from there are then thus impacted. So, Josh, why don't you talk about the games? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is in the grand scope of things, right? right. This is not the thing that that is really something to be upset by or nope. worried about, right? But it is the state of the world in which we live in. And so we just kind of wanted to highlight and, and just kind of remind folks to be patient with people as, as this virus is having a, a substantial impact on people's lives um, and, and the minuscule impact of not getting a game in time, which we'll talk about, we're going to talk about here is, yep. is pretty low. Um, whenever you consider what, what other folks have, have gone through, especially in China, where, as Bruce mentioned, a lot of our games come from, um, is from China. Um, they're produced there, um, they're shipped from there. And so, um, you know, a lot of the impact for the, the largest impacts for China actually happened right around the Chinese New Year. So factories were already shut down and then extended shutdowns, which has caused delays on a lot of especially bigger Kickstarters, um, which which rely on these factories in China and Shanghai to um, produce their games. So, you know, I know a couple that I'm directly involved in. So Anachrony, Fractures of Time Expansion, I've been waiting on. Um, they just released a state. Most of their production had already been accomplished prior to the shutdown occurring, but there are they are expecting delays because they don't know um, 
Panda, who is the company that they are using, is back and they're functioning, but they're functioning at half staff Mm -hmm. um, because there are still a lot of folks who are unable to um, move around the country and return from uh, the places they were visiting around the Chinese New Year. So, um, you know, Raccoon Tycoon is a, a, a game that I have my eye on that has had some significant impacts. And, you know, we last received an update a month ago, and the, the update was, we will update you when we know more, um, right? And that's frustrating to hear, especially when you're waiting several months for a game that you're really excited about. But, um, you know, this is just kind of the, the nature of this. Um, and the, the one that I kind of wanted to really kind of highlight and, and hit here is, you know, even games that haven't, um, aren't, aren't expected for a while. So, you know, I backed sleeping gods. Um, it's a game that I'm really excited about. And, and Ryan Lockett's also said, you know, we are just now sending, things to to printing, but because of how all of these other games are delayed, we're at the back of a queue that is pretty substantial. And so um, just kind of something to keep in mind as you're move as we're moving forward and and people are hopefully starting to get over the hump of the major impacts. Um, you know, China seems to be on the upswing a little bit with this is is getting back to to kind of some of this production, but this is going to have rippling effects for for a long time. And, and as you're looking at things like Kickstarter or pre-orders, or you know, waiting on a game reprint, um, kind of keep in mind that those those deadlines, those dates are going to be more flexible now than they have been in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're going to be waiting longer on these things. So, and Josh, thank you for talking about all that. It's one of those things of, yeah, there's a funnel, right? Being created of when these things can come out, but let's really pause and think about the fact of, and acknowledge the fact of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like getting your new board game, even as board game reviewers and like a channel, right? Right. Like this is something that's really important to us, but in the grand scheme of things, people's health and safety is first. Um, and so with that being said, also want to understand that there might be less games overall coming out this year. And so with that being said, we might be focusing more on some big, bigger and older games, um, through more of our stuff or what happens after we get play games even more. Um, more, more experiences. And when you get it to the table more often, um, that being said, I also just want to give a shout out to anyone who is running a game convention or has game night things and is having to be in this space of making some hard decisions. Um, are, and I hope that everybody out there also gives them that grace of they're trying the best they can. Um, and, and just have them really focus in and be humble with the fact of, I'm doing this for a hot, for a great hobby. And I just want to make a decision that's going to be health and safety for all of them. Um, so give everyone some patience right now with everything going on and also just give some love because we're part of a big globalized uh, world. Um, but that being said, um, we're going to actually start wrapping up here, Josh. And, um, so with that all being said, we just want to say thank you for all this and our thoughts go out to everybody in the world, uh, no matter where you are and that we hope that you are safe and we hope that you're able to play some great games and that, uh, maybe get some of those other games 
back to the table that you haven't been able to play in a while. Um, Josh, do you have any closing words for our listeners? As always, thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Um, you know, this is a time in which I think, um, you know, bringing people together and, and just kind of enjoying the, the folks around you are really important. And so, um, take a chance to, to try and do that, um, you know, with, with your own safety and well-being primary in mind as you, as you process through how that happens and where that happens. But, um, you know, give that grace like bruce said i think that's something we can always do a little bit better at is, is giving grace to the folks around us um, and understanding kind of what everyone's going through but thank you all so much uh, we really do appreciate it um yeah that's all i've got for you yeah so um, if you enjoyed this episode please go and tell some friends about it that's a great way to help spread the show and also give us a like um, in that podcast app that you're listening to it in um, but we hope that learning about what experiences are going on for us are going to be helpful for you and your gaming group. Um, really just want to focus in on make sure that you're doing things safely, have some fun out there, make the most of the situation and live for a brighter day. Um, but until then also go out and have a positive impact on the world.